Hello and welcome to the Intersection of Things, a podcast about technology and how it's changing our lives from an intersectional feminist perspective. I am one half of the pod, Mariana Ramos-Capello, and I'm the other half, Ruth Cusick-Deal. Hi Ruth! Hey! What's up? Doing pretty good, pretty good. I'm excited to record this episode. Yeah, what are we talking about this week? Beauty. Beauty. Um, okay. Why? <laughs> Tell me more. Um, I guess I've been thinking a little bit lately about how people use technology to define what is beautiful. And I guess that means it in lots of different ways, like how people can use technology to change themselves in simple things like using Instagram filters and that kind of thing, or how it creates communities where people challenge and like redefine what is beautiful by reaffirming themselves or in the way people are using machines to try and define beauty with like algorithms and things like that. More on that later, I think. Yeah, well, in an era of the Instagram society, I think uh, notions of beauty are really important to just think and think through the lens of tech and listeners. Of course, we're going to tackle beauty, obviously, when we're talking about body beauty, but also spatial beauty and just beauty. (laughs) It's a very philosophical term. But let's start with like the body. Yeah, I mean, for me, I was thinking a lot right at the very beginning about YouTube makeup tutorials. And I'm just pretty fascinated by how they are like the biggest thing on YouTube. Like the people who are making the most money on YouTube are doing makeup tutorials. And it's just become this huge phenomena. And like, there's part of me that feels kind of weird about that because is it superficial? But on the other hand, one of the things that I've been really interested about is when I actually watch these tutorials and like look at things, a lot of them are just really playing. Like it feels very playful. Lots of stuff that's about doing illusion makeup or like monster makeup and doing looks that are just so over the top and hyperbolic. It doesn't feel like it's for a male gaze or an outsider gaze. It just feels like it's for yourself. Like it's saying like, what can I do with my face? Like my face is just a canvas and I'm gonna mess around and I'm gonna watch other people teach me how I can do that. But it just feels a lot of playfulness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think there's something to say about like the the quote unquote, the politics of hanging out. Because a lot of these makeup tutorials are um, almost like you're hanging out with a person, very similar to like podcasts where it's just like, it's a space where a person is very clearly communicating something so like sharing some kind of knowledge but also this playful nature of it creates some sort of intimacy in some it's a space where you get to literally or virtually hang out with someone which leads to opportunities to share other kinds of information like there's a lot about like hiding um safety information in some of those videos like it was always like this covert thing about it's remember that the tweet that said like oh the best foundation for your face especially if you have acne is like oh now that men stop listening girls we escape tonight at 12 like that kind of covert (laughs) um i mean it's a meme or it's a it went viral but it's kind of like it's true there's a lot of sharing from sex ed to like consent and uh, safety and security tips for women or gender non-conforming people or queers this virtual spaces of hangouts kind of facilitate that and I find that really interesting yeah I read about this uh, contemporary artist called Addie Wagenknecht who she wrote a piece that was all about using 
um, makeup tutorials and skincare tutorial kind of stuff as a way to teach InfoSec. And like I wrote down one of the little notes from there as genuinely helpful, which was don't use oil based products on your skin during a protest because it can make pepper spray worse. It's like, oh, wow. So it's genuinely helpful, like combo of advice. Yeah, and you've also, I don't know if you've seen, but like a lot of the makeup that has come up in the context of the Hong Kong protests to like try to trip the facial recognition software. So like you basically like kind of paint more eyes because you know how facial recognition looks for certain features first, like the eyes or like the mouth. But if you paint a bunch (laughs) on your face, then, you know, you're delaying the software and you're gaining valuable minutes, seconds or just literally just messing up with the forces of surveillance so man makeup tutorials wow that's amazing i hadn't actually heard about the hong kong one i was also in the same context i was listening to a podcast called fashioning identity i think we've mentioned it before and um, they were talking about age ageism in fashion and how technology plays into this and um, they were basically saying you know like it used to be the case that you learned makeup from your friends or from your elders, from like your older sister, your aunt, your mom, you play with grandma's stuff. And again, this is a very specific form of normative gendering. And they said, you know, like in an age where youth is extra commodified, all of a sudden you're learning all of this from like this girl in Idaho, you know, and by quote unquote girl in Idaho, uh, the speaker was referring to the YouTube or the YouTubers who generally are young and are making this um, these makeup tutorials. But what the speaker was saying was that this also calls to the loss of like honoring like the ancestors and like breaking that intergenerational hangout and where like a lot of very valuable experiences would be shared. So it's almost like substituting the older sister, grandma, and again, this is a very like techno-fear comment, but I think I found it very interesting, like a culture that in valuing youth is um, forgetting about, again, the the intergenerational communication and sharing of, of knowledge. But I don't know, I'm, I'm always a little bit reticent or I'm, I'm unsure about just saying that youth these days, you know? Because yeah. by the same measure, like what about all the queers that didn't have that older sister or brother or grandma who teaches makeup like this young queer will go online and find their own community and and there's many forms of ancestry that that are like intergenerational knowledge that can be also shared through the tumblers and the youtubes and the instagram so yeah and i think it's a bit false to say that like everyone who's making these tutorials is young but yeah. I can I can agree that most of them are. I mean, you know, intergenerational teaching of makeup doesn't speak to my personal experience, but, you know, everyone has their own. Yeah. I don't, not something my mum ever taught me. And I'm kind of fine with that too. Yeah, n- not my area of expertise by choice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I know listeners, you'll be surprised because you're going to see us. But, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting to see how uh, technology has turned the lens on the self again like literally our phones have self-facing cameras and do you remember when it was a sin to post a selfie it was like terribly condemned yes do you know what i was thinking about that when i was prepping for this episode when there was like a sort of selfie outrage we were like they're just taking selfies all the time constantly it's just these young people and like 
you know what? I think I was like that. I mean, I think I thought it was a thing that younger people did. Like, I was so much older. Uh, which is really, really weird because I take selfies all the time now. But right when it first started being a thing, I was like, oh, these teenagers, like, they're so narcissistic. And I would genuinely say it probably was feminists on the internet who kind of challenged me on that point. You know, not me personally, but through, like, reading what people were saying about it. And this idea of, like, you know, why is it so bad to look at yourself and be happy with how you look? Like, the idea that you shouldn't be happy with yourself, like, the the whole concept of vanity is incredibly Mm. gendered. Men are rarely described as vain. It's a thing that women can do. And, like, it's a sin, like, in the, you know, religious sense. It's a sin that's, like, specific to women. And I remember this Tumblr post from way back... There was, like, someone just had a picture of a sculpture with, like, a phone in their hand. So, like, this classical, you know, Romanesque sculpture was taking a picture of itself. Mm -hmm. And they were saying about how the moment you put a camera in the hand, it becomes vain and you're mocking it. But when you just take, when it's just a sculpture of a naked woman, then that's fine. And they had this thing where they, like, quoted some kind of, like... 1800s philosopher actually maybe it was john stuart mill but it was all about how like this is the same concept as like men painting pictures of venus for their own admiration but then they paint a mirror that she's looking in so that they can at the same time condemn her and it's just like you know the philosophers were like essentially doing the same kind of thing of condemning the idea of like oh well i can it's only beautiful when she doesn't know it kind of thing ew Enter the One Direction song. Yeah, I was literally thinking about it. I remember hating that song when it came out. You don't know you're beautiful. That's what makes you beautiful. Fuck you. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. No, and I think it's it's interesting because I really love and I think, I hope we we find it and we can put it in the footnotes, uh, the the pictures of these like statues that change so much once they seem to be holding a phone. But I think another element of the selfie is I mean there's there's a lot of people who have written about this but it's like the act of inserting yourself in space and the act of inserting yourself in the recorded history of an event so for example um it's like how dare you take a selfie of you at the concert and I'm like well no but number one nobody else is going to so I'm gonna do it number two I'm gonna post it so like record it for posterity and I think part of that gendered rage that happened one of it was yes you're so vain how dare you? It's almost, you're so vain. How dare you think that you deserve a place in recorded history? Like, that's literally in my head how it translates. And you take that one step further and you're like, how dare you think that you deserve a space or in, in recorded history in this particular event? And that's when you start seeing a lot of, for example, a lot of women or queers taking pictures of themselves in like either historically relevant places or at protests or as a challenge, right? Like some people like taking a picture of themselves in tum- in front of the Trump hotel, like holding a little middle finger. I don't know. I think it's a, a very interesting act of self-recording. I don't know. It's the politics of posterity. And and how did that change? How did that change technology? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but we didn't used to have the uh, the cameras, the front-facing cameras before. They like built phones to have cameras on both sides after. selfies became a thing which you know i would say is one of those other things about teen girls create culture yeah like there's there's so many things about that where like 
what teen girls say or do is mocked and laughed at and then eventually creates culture and in this case created phone designs yeah i mean it was also like a way to facetime with your friends and stuff skype with your friends but i mean if that had been the case i would have been part of the first phones because webcams were around before phones so i think you're right i think it's I remember you have to, like, turn the camera around and just kind of guess. Yep, yep. And now we sound like old ladies. Back in the day. <laughs> Back in the day. Front-facing cameras. You have to carry around a mirror to look at yourself on your eyeliner. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and, and it's interesting, all of this. And I think one of the uh, things that I am really appreciating is that all of these forms of self-expression are, like, challenging gender norms are challenging notions of what's beautiful what's acceptable you see non-binary people literally playing actually with the whole like non-binaryism not just androgyny you know there's a lot of criticisms about how like the andros has more than the genie here but you see actually not that it's new but actually that we're seeing it and it's uh i don't know shout out to all of this production of cultural stuff that's happening and that revolves around aesthetics yeah and i think You know, I was mentioning right at the start, there's this thing about community and beauty and trying to kind of change what is seen as beautiful. And yeah, you're saying the thing about non-binary, you know, if there, there are those kind of moments where everyone does a day, you know, like this is this is what like LGBT looks like. This is what non-binary looks like. And you kind of show those faces and everyone puts pictures up and says like, it is more than what you think. There are more kinds of beauty than what's presented. Like androgyny, non-binary is not just like, you know, a white woman in a tux, hot as that is. Uh Um, But there are many kinds of hot. And like, yeah. Hashtag many kinds of hot. Yeah. I just got distracted by the conversation about women in tuxes. uh, Water? Um, Yeah, just take a breath. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and... And just to like cool here, um, it's also kind of challenging the idea of always having to be beautiful and always having to be on. And I think you had something about this. Yeah, it reminds me of a lot of work that Arabelle Sicardi's done, who, honestly, if we're going to talk about beauty, I pretty much can't do it without giving some credit to Arabelle Sicardi, who's writing on beauty is pretty much like my go-to point. And they're they're just amazing. Link in the Um, footnotes. Yep, definitely probably to a few pieces. And they did this thing called monstering, which was using like makeup as defiance against sexual harassment. So like wearing deliberately kind of chaotic and ugly looking makeup, Um, like doing a thing where they said like having like red glitter dripping from their eyes. And they had like an art campaign called Most Important Ugly, which has some really incredible photographs about this kind of thing of like creating a look, a makeup look that's like, deliberately ugly although i actually this is the weird thing don't think those photos are ugly personally to me they look beautiful but i guess that's the thing it's a sort of like not a sexual beautiful but Mm. like a kind of dark beautiful like a sublime beautiful you know and now i'm like full-on going into kind of like the poetry kind of concepts but you know like there's that thing that's like it's not beauty that's in um oh i want to kiss them so amazing but there's a kind of beauty that's just like startling mm-hmm. and you're just like whoa it's like there's so much there it's like striking beauty 
Yeah. I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah, and I think it it calls to a lot of the media that we have around is done through the male gaze uh, with the object of like sexual desire. And that's another element of like, there are so many other forms of beauty and some of them come even from challenging the notions of beauty. So this whole monstering that creates a different kind of sublime appreciation of life. And uh, yeah. it just makes life richer and almost like in HD. But yeah, it's just like the, the beauty of autonomy, the beauty of um, basically saying I own this body, this is mine and I do whatever I want with it, to it. This this is a very philosophical theme, Ruth. Help, yeah. me, help me not go down the rabbit hole. It's really funny that, you know, on something that sounds so kind of surface level that we can get philosophical with it so quickly. Yep. Um, what else is there? Well, we could talk about machines deciding what is beautiful. All right. So enter algorithms. <laughs> what the yeah. fuck? Okay, tell me. <laughs> so I went to this exhibition at the Barbican, which is a London art centre in the summer, and it was called AI More Than Human. And it was kind of like a hodgepodge collection of things to do with AI. You know, side note critique of this exhibition is it was way too crowded, overheated, and someone fainted while I was in there, and I felt sick by the time I left. It was not for humans. It was not for humans. There was too much stuff in that exhibition. However... There was one bit where they were trying to get you as the uh, the visitor to the exhibition to do an interactive thing where there was a machine, a bunch of pictures, and it was taking pictures of you, and then you were kind of like rating which picture of you it took was the best. And then it would learn how to take a good picture and, you know, and then at the end it showed you a bunch of pictures at the end of the thing and you had to say whether it had got it right about understanding what a beautiful picture is. And like... Ultimately, what it was generating when it was trying to generate pictures were just messy blurs. Like, it wasn't able to do anything, you know, it wasn't able to say, like, yes, the the computer has developed a beautiful picture here. And I thought about that kind of being quite funny because, you know, you have all this footfall through an exhibition and everyone's going to pick different things. You can't have a situation where the computer is going to come out with a uniform idea of what beauty is or what a good photograph of a person looks like. Because actually everyone has a different perspective. But at the same time, I can see how these kind of things can be developed and how we end up with things like, you know, on Instagram, they created an algorithm that makes sure that you don't miss out on celebrity pictures Mm. because they assume that the most important content is not your friends, it's celebrities that you follow. So like... If Beyonce posted up a picture and then, you know, that happened while you were in bed, when you wake up in the morning, it will put that to the top of your feed because that's the important picture to see. Wow. Well, and it also uh, reminds me of um, all of the face filters that uh, exist either on Instagram or um, Snapchat or other places where they can, quote unquote, beautify you. And it's interesting to see what uh, the algorithm dust your photo in order for it to be elevated quote-unquote to what's like a normative notion of beauty and i think i remember when was it snapchat that did the uh, gender swap Mm -hmm. basically if it identified i don't know did it give you a, a choice i think you you would choose what you want to be swapped so it would not identify you as either gender, but you can be like, maleify me or womanify me. And um, <laughs> technical terms. And someone pointed out that what 
this algorithm, yes, obviously manipulated your photo in a way that would accentuate certain things from like the brow or like the jaw, just to, for it to align to more normative notions of what either gender, because it was only binary, either gender look like. But not only that, so if, for example, you um, uploaded a picture and you're like, okay, I'm a woman and you click the woman to find me, uh, it would still run the algorithm and it would give you attributes that were a little, I don't know if they were like Eurocentric, but basically, you know, it would still do something to your face, even though in theory your face was already of that perceived gender. So, th you know, there was a whole mini discussion, maybe mega discussion that I didn't see, but about what it meant to enhance so and it's it, it's it gets down to the math and the algorithmic process right of the ratio of eye size to like mouth size and all of these things that very quickly can get very messy and incredibly racist and yeah so machines yeah. defining beauty and therefore defining power because there's that other thing of the beauty privilege have you heard of it no well wait is this like people who are perceived as pretty are more likely to progress at job interviews yep so mesh this whole beauty algorithm with potential like job searching hunting algorithms again the potential is there for abuse and uh there's nothing intelligent about this artificial intelligence yeah I read an essay by someone called Lev Manovich who asked this question about will beauty eventually become a black box? Mm. And a, a black box generally is used as a metaphor for something where you can't see the decisions that are being made that come out with the outcomes. So like the idea that we will trust machines to decide what beauty is. And I can see what you mean. Like when people are trying to use machines to interview job candidates in some places, that if the machine also adds in like, the robot thinks you're pretty. So plus four interview points. Well, and, and again, um, without getting too philosophical about it, it's like just begs the question, well, what do you consider to be beautiful? Is something that's trustworthy beautiful? Is it something that's menacing? beautiful is it something you know what what attributes would you say have to come together and to in what ratios for you to consider something beautiful that's why i was thinking a lot about like the job part of it because like maybe a woman looks too bossy too pushy then she's not gorgeous it, you know what i mean although yeah. although grrr. <laughs> But that's a different story. And it's the thing that like all of these kind of algorithms, as we have like said in other episodes, they don't really come just from computers. It's always going to be fed into. I mean, yes, that machine game that I was looking at in the exhibition, it asks all of these visitors to feed in. And that creates kind of like a jumble because everyone has something else. But if you get a smaller group of people who had created a machine algorithm that said, this is what a beautiful photograph is like, then they walk away and then they say, I'll leave the machine running or whatever. You don't remove the responsibility from the people who actually came up with that algorithm in the first place. Yeah, that's why I think um, artificial intelligence is just a marketing term to like offload responsibility into a machine. Yeah, I mean, we don't really have AI as, you know, Steven Spielberg kind of AI. Yeah. We just really, most of the time, people are talking about machine learning. <sighs> Breaking news, AI does not exist. Although, talking about Steven Spielberg, yep. um, I guess the other kind of flip side on machines deciding what is beautiful is what is a beautiful machine. Mm. And I was thinking about, you know, Ghost in the Shell and Cyborgs 
and the concept of the yeah the beautiful cyborg machine um tell me about it or should i tell you about what i think tell me about what you think i instantly remembered when the iphone first came out i don't know if it was the ipod but the iphone first came out this like brick of glass dark very uh reminiscent to me at least but to a lot of people too of that monolith of like 2001 space odyssey uh 2001 space odyssey also looking very apple i don't know if you if you've seen the movie recently but i did a couple years ago and i was like holy shit this looks like an apple store one thing that people could not stop talking about was how beautiful the object was and there's a lot about like beautifying objects and in that process your guard is down um so, so you you trust it more you give it more information it's like the giving in into the machine uh through and one of the avenues that makes this easier is when the object looks beautiful safe sleek and and if you turn that into like push it one step further it's um the whole idea of like the beautiful cyborg the replacing woman uh, have we had this conversation in the podcast before about like i don't think so about like the notions i don't know if it's a trope but like in sci-fi you 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 know more about sci-fi than i do ruth but like i've heard the trope of replacing the woman like the human woman with a computer woman and in doing so like just eliminating the biological need for like gender equality like when men in the heteronormative world can just design their ideal partner what would it look like and then you have all of these movies about like a man falling in love with her like computer assistant who's a beautiful robot that looks like scarlett johansson basically mm-hmm. and uh I don't know, it just begs a lot of questions around that. Yeah, I mean, I like something about the cyborg as a as like a character, as a sci-fi figure, because I kind of like the, you know, it's not a human, it's not a machine. They're kind of like a person who has like machine parts or connections. And it like that kind of concept that you could, like in a more optimistic way, get rid of gender or get rid of these kind of like binary ideas because like a robot doesn't need to have a gender. We like put gender on robots but there isn't a gender that's necessary but the problem is i think is is that we are just not able to do that like we find it so hard to let go of male female binary Mm. even though there's the potential you know in these science fiction films to have a character that's truly non-binary whenever it's non-binary it seems to we're we're back at this earlier conversation like non-binary always seems to be male and then you're back at the idea that male is neutral and actually i was reading about this with like a robot that nasa built Uh and it was really interesting reading about the the good intentions in this gendered robot. So they create a robot called... <laughs> Oxymoron. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. Emphasis um... in moron. Go on. <laughs> so they create a robot called Valkyrie. And it was part of um, some kind of like robot competition, right? Various teams entered. NASA was like entering one team. And they had to build a bot who had to do a number of different tasks. And it was like drive a car, navigate debris, do various other things. I can't remember. And... They wanted to create a sort of like superhero robot and show that not all robots have to be male, especially because this was like an action hero robot rather than like a caregiving robot. And the interview I read, they were saying that so often 
when you're going to create a robot that's involved in care, then it's feminized. And if it's a robot involved in like rescue missions, like a whatever, like a firefighting robot design, then it's coded as male. And they want mm. to show that like, you know, you could have a female robot saving lives. And it's like, that's, you know, I understand that logic. So, yeah, they create a robot. It's kind of got like robot boobs, but they said that that was also, you know, quite functional because they put the battery pack inside the boobs. So there's extra space. <laughs> That's what we could all use our boobs for. You don't keep your battery pack in your boobs? No. Uh. No. But that's from now on. Yeah. Now on. Now, now, now I thought know. of it. Yeah. Wow. And I just thought it was so interesting because, like, I felt like listening on that interview, you're like, they're caught up in the same kind of problem. They're saying, like, whenever we build a robot, like the engineers at NASA said, everyone always just calls them he. Ugh. So we had to create boobs so that it wouldn't be called he. But then doesn't that just reduce like the concept of womanhood just to boobs? Yeah, and then this weird gender bioessentialism that's fucked. Yeah, Ugh. and I felt, I felt like bad for them because I really could understand what they were saying was the problem they had. They said like, we create robots and then people just call them he every time. Maybe they've been putting balls in those... <laughs> 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 Oh god. Yeah. Ew. It's interesting, isn't it, as well? Yeah. When it... you think about it. You wouldn't put genitals on a robot. It's so unnecessary. And it's such a waste of money, I think. And uh yeah, man. NASA, just give us that money. We'll create podcasts and tell you why. And this is dear universities, why all your engineers should benefit from some like nice humanities in their education and gender studies things because this is bullshit <laughs> tldr um yeah i don't know cyborgs stuff machines deciding what's beautiful and i think i don't know the last bit just because we teased it in the beginning of the pod was to talk about beauty i mean we've talked about beauty in terms of the human body even when it's interrelated with uh robots and robotics but there's also something to be said about looking at beauty through the lens of technology when it comes to space you know this is something that i am very interested in and it's like ruth have you noticed how spaces are now designed to be instagrammed you go into a coffee shop and it has like beautiful white walls with exposed wood and it's and things on the wall maybe that those edison bulbs you know starter pack gentrification starter pack <laughs> um and it's literally lit not, not lit as in cool but lit in a way that you can take a picture so no low light and uh and that's just for you to take snap the photo and put it on instagram and it's like appealing and it's part of the marketing stuff so i'm very interested in the way space the real life space is changing and quote-unquote beautifying itself but obviously beautifying itself through the lens of instagram for people to to go snap the photo and do and again insert themselves in history and by extension inserting that place that business into like the the hype that's the internet we've seen it too and uh remember walking around cities and listeners tweet us if you find this every bloody fucking wing like there's there's walls with wings in it that are designed for someone to sit or to like stand in front of those wings and your friend to take a photo and haha isn't it so clever oh uh, my god there's so many in london yeah there there are a few in vancouver too and i've seen them in, in other places but it's just like really it's like this spatial trope that's very interesting to me because it's it's again a spatial trope for the internet and it's speaking to a very specific kind of aesthetic you know and it's uh it 
it is a tangible way to see how the intersection of technology and the social and the beauty is like ever present and it's all around us so it's and that's also i don't know i'm going on a rant here but like all of the criticisms about quote-unquote beautifying outside spaces like through murals and things that are very colorful going hand in hand with like processes of like gentrification and cleaning up so all of a sudden the beautiful space like graffiti is sanctioned because it gives quote-unquote character and i'm talking i'm using a lot of like marketing terms here but giving it character i don't know their marketing which is buzzwords for you to like inhabit or to attract a certain kind of population to an area um in vancouver i'm particularly thinking of the mural fest where like a bunch of artists are given spaces to like do this murals like graffiti like paintings are beautiful and big and awesome and they look great on Instagram but it's it's weird and it's been criticized for like being sponsored by some of the developers that are just evicting people from houses upping rents and it's weird some of the artists and there, there was a story I think last year of like artists who were evicted off the building they helped paint because they could not afford rents and I know right. anecdotal stuff is not anecdata but it's I invite all of you little big and widespread listeners to um to think about the politics of beauty and space and how it helps capitalism do its thing yeah you you blew my mind with that the first time you told me because I somehow always believed that murals on the side of the wall were spontaneous oh, and no. yeah and I, I you know Shoreditch in London has certainly been heavily gentrified but it also has a lot of really beautiful graffiti in the area and i was walking there late at night one time and i saw a guy painting on one of those like platforms you know it's like a mini crane Mm -hmm. it's like a like a lift up platform thing and he had someone standing at the bottom in like a high-vis jacket and it was quite late at night and you know i had all the spray cans and stuff but it was that moment of realizing yeah this is fully sanctioned graffiti and it's just really weird because I always wanted to believe like, oh yeah, people are just like in the middle of the night creating these like whole wall building murals. But that was very naive of me. And obviously, actually, some of this stuff in Shoreditch might be graffiti, but how much of it is just like part of that gentrification process? I think it's the same deal, what you're describing in Vancouver. Like, let's keep the character of the area whilst at the same time it's completely unaffordable. Yeah, and you can look at how sanitized it is. Those beautiful murals will rarely have uh, a criticism against, like, the state or, like, capital or anything. It's usually just this... I don't know. They they do have a common visual language, which is very interesting. Then that will, you know, we can talk about this some other time. But it's... it it. It's playing into the whole like nostalgia, Instagrammy, vacation mode. It's it's an interesting way of like I don't know. I just invite listeners to to look at murals in a different way and to appreciate actual outlaw graffiti because that's where the interesting meat and the the politics of of society can be seen. Yeah, beauty can also be kind of like an arm of capitalism. I want to add in my tiny little my squirrel anecdote on this. Tell okay. me. Yes. Because. I love this squirrel story and it was making me happy for months. So there was a building <laughs> that I pass. It's getting somewhere. It's getting yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. There was a building that I pass on my bus to work every day that was being demolished. Okay. So like the building was all like cordoned off and it had a ton of graffiti on it. Oh no, a like, squirrel lost. live in there. Okay, go. Tell no, me. no, no, no. It's a graffiti squirrel. Don't worry. Oh. Right? So it had like loads of stuff on it. Like one of the things that was ironic is it had this huge like one wall that said the last days of shortage in like huge writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and various other things by different artists like all over it and one of them there was just a squirrel like you know 
a mural squirrel on one side of this building. And then over time as I went past, like, this building was knocked down. And, like, I watched that bit, the last days of Shoreditch, slowly be destroyed. And I thought, like, Oof. wow, you know. So, so ironic. Mm-hmm. And, but they kept the squirrel. And I mean, they kept the squirrel so deliberately. I was, like, gaining this deep affection for these builders because they knocked around the shape of it. Like, its little nose was, like, sticking out of the side where, like, all the rest of a wall had been destroyed. Wow. for ages and like everything else was gone but like this one bit of wall with this graffiti squirrel on one side was still holding out wow. i was like did these builders not want to destroy it oh. i was just like so sweet it's gone now they finally did it but it was there for ages after everything else had gone and it so clearly like knocked the wall around it oh, so you know yeah. se- sentimental builders man the executioners are human too and on that bright note wow Anything else? I think we uh, we covered some good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's been an episode. Cool. Is, is there anything that you're taking with you after all of this? How do you call it? Is is the word divagation a thing? Whoa. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's what does a, that mean? I have no idea. I don't think it, I don't think it's a word in English. We'll figure it out after all of this rambling. Is there anything you're taking with you, Ruth? Hmm. I still need to, I need to process. Sorry. What about you? Hashtag processing. I I mean. One thing that I was, this is very meta, but I think I was kind of impressed by how a lot of the things that we mentioned seemed by now very um, matter of fact, like no shit Sherlock sort of thing. Like, for example, we talked about selfies and how they used to be condemned and they are still sometimes condemned and gendered. But now it's, I'm just amazed at how like in the span of 10 years things change so much which is strange and weird and um it it just felt like an assessment of like the last 10 years and how like cultural aesthetics have morphed and shaped themselves around these apps which is cool but interesting but weird so that i love the whole idea of like space changing to fit into the square of instagram i mean i don't like it but i I, it's amazing to me yeah yeah so i was just thinking about some of the stuff that you said about beauty and trust Mm. that's what was really coming back because you know you mentioned this thing about beauty privilege and then also about how the shape of the iphone itself like its beauty seems to make it more trusting and i think that's true in both cases and sometimes when we see something that feels aesthetically pleasing to us we also think it's safer Mm. both like in people and in machines harmless yeah yeah and i guess i was thinking about that as just something to perhaps pay some more attention to that weaponized harmlessness ah yeah that's uh i don't know it it just feels like such a it's because it's everywhere it's like fish talking about water that's how it feels right now yeah and i think at the same time you know like yeah we can say like oh let's pay attention to you know how beauty is weaponized but i think the fact is that beauty is also always changing like how we define what is beautiful has changed so much over time you know that's also like a constantly changing game like to look at science fiction there's all of these weird genres of sci-fi like retrofuturism mm. and like steampunk and then you can turn retrofuturism on its head and have like future retroism which is like wait am I, am future I gonna... retroism so... it's what people in the future will think the past looked like fuck okay Amazing. and retrofuturism is what people in the past thought the future looked like wow and those are all different sci-fi aesthetics from different time periods my three neurons are confused (laughs) all i'm saying is that like the concept of like a beautiful machine has in the time period in which that has existed Mm -hmm. which isn't even that long gone under a lot of change 
Yeah. So like there is never a permanent concept of like what is beautiful, what is sleek. Yeah. And I mean, spoiler alert, we're going to get to talk about some of these issues at some point in the future. In the meantime, let's wrap it up. Yeah, let's go. Cool. All right. So um, this has been an episode of The Intersection of Things. You can find all of the footnotes where Ruth at theintersectionofthings.com. Amazing. And if you want to tweet at us, we can be found at Things Intersect. And Ruth, if you want to be found, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Nessient, N-E-S-I-E-N-T. Cool. I am at Undays and Such. And uh, the music has been by... David Mark Hucklesby. And the editing and all the things have been by us. Yeah, anything else? Nope. Everybody have beautiful weeks. Be gay and... Or not, do whatever you want. But take care. Bye. Bye. See you soon.